Hello, everyone, and welcome back to what appears to be the final Pensburg podcast episode. Uh, for the time being, at least, uh, I-, I am your host, Garrett Bahanna. As always, alongside me is fellow Pensburg contributor Robbie Noggle. And Robbie, the reason why, uh, the reason why I I addressed everyone as such just a few seconds ago was because as things stand right now, the the, the episode that we bring you next week on March the second, which will probably premiere on Friday, March third. That will be the first episode under this new rebranding that we have kind of filled all of the listeners in on. But, uh, Robbie, but before we dive into all of that sort of mumbo-jumbo, before we even get to next week, let's talk about this week. How have you been since last week's episode? Can't complain too much. It's been um, a pretty good week. It's been, uh, as we mentioned, uh, at least today, Wednesday when we record, or Thursday when we record this, it's like 65, 70 degrees out here in western Pennsylvania. Uh, beautiful day, uh, sunny, uh, so enjoying that as much as possible. But, I mean, from that kind of aspect, good. From a Penguins fan aspect, uh, things could definitely be a little bit better right now. Things could always be better if you're a Pittsburgh Penguins fan. Recently, uh, talks of the trading deadline are heating up. So by the time this podcast goes live, it will just be seven days until the NHL's trading deadline. And as we sit here with the rest of Penguins Nation trying to figure out what Ron Hextall is going to do, we still really don't have many concrete answers. There have been rumors floating around, uh, possible players the Penguins are linked to, but nothing of real substance has come out yet. But until then, until the trading deadline, until the Penguins make an official move, uh, there's one thing, Robbie, that I'd like to talk about this week, and it has to deal with the Penguins, their struggles within their own division. The Penguins are currently, they have sustained nine straight losses against Metropolitan Division opponents dating back to December. And so, Robbie, we may know why the Penguins are struggling. It's because largely it's a lack of depth, goaltending, injuries. There are several things that are compounding on top of one another to create the 2022-23 version of the Pittsburgh Penguins. But why is it, Robbie, do you think that the Penguins are losing so many of these games against familiar teams. In theory, the teams that you're seeing the most, your divisional rivals, should be the teams that you have a better grasp on because you're seeing them so frequently throughout the regular season. You should, in theory, at least have a, a better chance of collecting points within the, within your own division. The only saving grace for the Penguins right now, because they're battling for a wild card spot and presumably going to be battling for a wild card spot for the remainder of this season, their only saving grace right now might be the fact that they have five games in hand on the New York Islanders who currently have 67 points at time of recording. So, Robbie, you look at the Penguins' struggles. They have been season-long, and we have documented their personnel, their player struggles. But looking at this stretch against Metropolitan Division opponents dating back to December, I think before Christmas time, they, they've struggled so mightily against teams in their own division. Why do you think that is? Do you think it's because the teams around them have have gotten better while the Penguins have stand idly by and, and watched teams like the Rangers and the Hurricanes and the Devils sort of come out of nowhere. Why do you think the Penguins have struggled so much this season against their divisional foes? Very good question. The divisional games are obviously so important um, when the, the especially with the way the playoffs are set up, where your top three teams out of each division automatically qualify qualify for the playoffs. So, why do they struggle against those teams? Your guess is probably as good as mine. I mean, the the division is not may is 
not as good as what it was back in between like 2016 to 2019-ish, uh, when that when the Metro was an absolute gauntlet. That's kind of uh, shifted a little bit, maybe even kind of spread out a little bit across the NHL, um, rather than just being all uh, stacked into one division, because the Metro was the gauntlet. It was the test uh, to pass, especially those years that the Penguins uh, won the Cup. So why do they struggle with those teams? Well, as well as you know the team, they know you just as well. Uh, again, and the, some of these teams play a style that does give the Penguins problems. Carolina, a very deep team. Uh, New York, the Rangers, a very deep team. The Islanders just seem in these past couple of years to kind of have the Penguins number. They're just a pain. They got guys that seem to always score against the Penguins. And then you have Ilya Sorokin in goal, who is one of the best goaltenders in the world. And he proved that in both games, the Penguins uh, currently played the Islanders. And it's been, yeah, it's frustrating. But uh, another thing that I think that makes it harder with the division is, though some teams are better than others, these top teams you're competing with, uh, most notably the Hurricanes, the Devils, the Rangers, uh, and the Islanders, then probably range between the top five teams in the NHL until playoff bubble like the Islanders and Capitals, is they have, at the very least, three good lines. And the Penguins don't have that. The Penguins have two good lines, a decent, somewhat fourth line, but it's going to be talked about until it gets fixed. That third line is just a complete black hole for the Penguins, and it's getting eaten alive every time they're on the ice. Even a team like the Islanders, it's not right now they're on the outside or they're in playoff positioning, but not the odds on favor to make the playoffs because of games in hand and stuff. They simply just eat that third line alive, regardless of who's on the ice. And that can tilt a game, especially when you have a guy like Srogan, who's not giving up goals. The Penguins just there fighting, fighting, fighting. The top two lines can only do so much. And that third line gets eaten alive. The same thing you see happens against the Devils, it will happen against the Rangers. It's going to happen against any team that's even mediocre because that line, the numbers they're putting up are not even NHL numbers. Those are three guys, arguably, who should not be in the NHL. Kasperi Kapanen, if he got a legitimate center, third-line center, I think he can be an effective player. But Brock McGinn has not registered a point, not a point. In 23 straight games. You remember how hot he was at the beginning of the season. 23 straight games going back to before Christmas. That is. That's all. It's almost. You almost have to purposely be doing that. Because you accidentally could get something to bounce off of you. For an assist or a goal or something. That just shows you how bad that line is as a whole. Is there's just not enough talent there. To even for something fortunate. Like that to happen. And whether it's against the Metro or other teams in the conference or in the Western conference, when that line is getting eaten alive and all the pressures on your top two lines, you're just going to get beat. And that's just how it is. And when you get a team like the Islanders that have always frustrated the pens and throw Sorokin in on top of it, it's just, it's not going to end. It's not going to end well for the Penguins more times than not. And you kind of saw that on Friday night and uh, Monday night that the Penguins had leads, but again, when the top two lines are just getting just too tired and fatigued and you got to throw those other guys out there, they get crushed. Goals happen. The goaltending wasn't perfect. We'll talk a little bit more about that 
uh, later down the line, but it just it's not good. That third line's not good, and I don't think it's anything specifically with the Metro teams. I just think that's who you see more often than not, so that it kind of seems like they're the ones causing the most problems. But when teams are going against that third line, uh, they eat that alive, turn the game, and it's all up to the, the top two lines to do all the work at that point. And, and by then, they're fatigued and out of gas, and it, things just fall apart then. We've been talking for weeks and weeks and weeks, if not months at this point now, as we inch ever closer to the trading deadline. And that's like the that's like the, the light at the end of the tunnel here, because that will determine what kind of team I think the Penguins will be for the remainder of this season. We'll see by Friday of next week where Ron Hextall's head is at and how confident he actually is in this team. He's gone on record and he says, we're comfortable with this team. We like this team. We don't feel like we have to make too many radical changes. I don't want to trade away my first round pick to shed salary, all that sort of thing. He could just be playing coy and he could have something up his sleeve. Only time will tell, but that's really going to be really the last determining factor because as we head into March, there's not too many games left to be played. Uh, we're definitely past the halfway point of the season now. The teams who are in playoff positioning, you kind of have a general idea of how good they're going to be for the remainder of this season. So we'll see. It's a waiting game. We've said that for how many weeks now as we've gotten questions and as we've hypothesized about who Ron Hextall could bring in. Is he really going to spend the assets necessary to upgrade the bottom six, to upgrade that third-line center spot? Will Jeff Carter continue to see ice time? Will Danton Heinen and Kasperi Kapanen and Brock McGinn continue to see ice time? Will they be shipped out as part of a larger package, uh, potentially, to try and upgrade the Penguins' bottom six and, more specifically, the Penguins' third line? So we're finally reaching the end of the road here uh, time is dwindling down. If you're the Penguins, we'll see. Maybe by this time next week, the Penguins will have made their move because several other teams around the league have begun to make their moves as well to finalize their rosters. Now, after the trading deadline, we look forward to the NHL playoffs. So that is something for next week's uh, podcast episode to discuss. Even if Ron Hextall at that time has not made a trade, all eyes are going to be on that trading deadline and Hextall to see if he does anything at all. We're going to switch gears and go into our mailbag segment. And because Robbie, this is going likely going to be the final iteration of the Pittsburgh podcast before we before we switch over to our official rebrand. And like I like I mentioned at the start of the show. We will have more uh, official, more concrete information to share with you at a later date when pen gets put to paper. But uh, I, I do believe that we will continue our weekly episode release to everyone listening. I don't believe anything will be impacted, whether you listen through Apple or Spotify, Google Play, what have you. I don't believe anything will be impacted. It's just going to come down to uh, the, the finalization when when things finally get uh, sent off for approval. But I do believe our schedule will not be interrupted as we head towards the trading deadline next week. The mailbags will continue uh, when, when I'm given the okay to finally unveil everything to uh, all the listeners, I will do so, and uh, we will have something of a social media presence as well. Nothing too drastic or out of the ordinary will change. Everything that you've been listening to up to this point will continue to happen. So with that all being said, with that out of the way, Robbie, like always, 
and like you will continue to do uh, after we rebrand, you will get question number one in the mailbag. Question number one this week comes from Brian. Brian saw an interesting lineup change that he wanted to share with us to get our opinions on. It seems like our current situation we need to get creative. Danton Heinen was very good with Evgeny Malkin last season. In this this lineup change, Brian puts Jason Zucker on the third line, and that definitely gives it a spark that the line desperately needs. Who knows, maybe it could be a happy accident like the HBK line was for the Penguins all those years ago that led them to Stanley Cup success. So in this lineup uh, that Brian has configured, it's Gensel, Crosby, Raquel on line one, Dan Hyman, Evgeny Malkin, and Brian Rust on line two, Jason Zucker, uh, Drew O'Connor at the center position on line three, uh, and Kasperi Kapanen is flanking O'Connor on the right side. Brock McGinn, Teddy Bluger, and Josh Archibald round out the top 12 forward group for the Penguins. So notably, Jeff Carter is nowhere to be found here. Like Brian mentions, we, we could have to get creative here with the players at our disposal. What do you make of this current lineup? Do you like it? Do you not like it so much? Uh, what are your thoughts on if you were the head coach and constructing your lineup this way? If I had any faith that Mike Sullivan would remove Jeff Carter from the lineup, I'd be all for it. Given the pieces and given what the Penguins are working with, this would be an improvement simply because it gets uh, Jeff Carter out of the lineup. Jeff Carter's the main problem with that third line. Brock McGinn is another whole thing, but Drew O'Connor deserves to be on the ice more, uh, and this gives him that opportunity. Um, I'd really like this lineup for get without any trades taken into consideration or anything like that. I, I really do like what Brian thought up here. I just don't have any faith that we're going to see Jeff Carter out of the lineup. Um, so uh, good on Brian for um, coming up with this. Uh, the Heinen uh, move to, the, I mean, Dan Heinen has been playing much better as of late than he was heading into the new year. Not a huge fan, uh, given how Zucker's played this year, of moving him off. The top six, uh, that's the only thing that would give me a little uh, hesitation. But if you'd want, if it's something you just want to try, see how it works for a game, doesn't work, we go back, uh, move some things around again, then yeah, hey, that's great. Definitely worth a shot. I just have no faith that Jeff Carter, aside from injury, is coming out of the lineup uh, at any point. Um, he's getting to levels of how we were so angry at Jack Johnson all the time. Uh, when he was still uh, with the Penguins. So that's kind of the level we're at with Jeff Carter now, and it just seems like nothing he does will get him out of the lineup. And, yeah, there's a lot uh, a lot behind the scenes that we can uh, discuss with that, but it is what it is right now, and I like the li- lineup that Brian put together. I just, until Carter comes out of the lineup, I don't see them even thinking about this. If we ever even saw this in practice, it would be great, but I just don't see it. Uh, question number two, uh, again from Brian. Uh, what do you think about using Sid on the penalty kill every so often? Uh, we used to see 66 uh, from time to time. I think it's a great idea uh, in theory. In execution and in practice, I understand why coaches are incredibly hesitant to put their stars out there because you're 
obviously if you're in the defensive zone and you know you're you're diving and running around blocking shots getting low you run the risk of fracturing something breaking something suffering injury i think that's the real reason why you have players like Brock McGinn Teddy Bluger who are making these defensive zone starts and are often on the penalty kill not to discredit these players because that's their role the the, the bottom six players are typically your muckers slash grinders and they they are put in these roles so that you don't have to, your star players, hypothetically, your top two lines don't have to shoulder that kind of burden and and play, whereas, you know, Crosby and Malkin are traditionally more, more or less in the offensive zone doing their thing. So, but I would say in an argument against putting your stars out there, it would, in all likelihood, increase the chance for more shorthanded opportunities because, you have a player like Crosby or Malkin or who have you out there on the ice who can see the game a lot differently, see it a lot quicker than your traditional, you know, fringe NHL or bottom six Brock McGinn-esque player who is out there primarily for defense slash penalty kill. If you put a Crosby out there and you do that more frequently, I, I do like your chances to drive play into the opposition zone and and in turn maybe create a few more offensive chances to, like I said, create more shorthanded opportunities and create more shorthanded goals. So every once in a while, I think you'll see Crosby out there. I do have a recollection of seeing Crosby out there under Mike Sullivan a few times in the past, but nothing concrete in my memory. So he's definitely done it before. But the the main concern, obviously, is injury, blocking a shot, fracturing something in your hand, your knee, your shin, whatever. That's why you're not going to see many stars out there uh, on the PK on a very regular basis. Question number three comes from Brian. I know a lot of people think we should target a veteran goalie at the deadline, but what about Vimelka from the Arizona Coyotes if the price isn't too absurd? Yeah, there's going to be a bunch of names uh, especially in this next week, they're going to be thrown around. I don't know. I mean, if I'm going for any goaltenders, I want one with on an expiring contract, unless the plan is to bring him back. But again, you have Casey Smith under contract for another year, so that could complicate things. We really have to at least take a shot at a goaltender. My dream trade for a goaltender would be James Reimer from the Sharks. Uh, I think that one, he would be he's been a backup slash starter for pretty much his entire career uh two if uh, that and two if jari does go down again he can slide right in and be your number one um, without a problem without um any rust he can handle the workload we know that i think that he would be uh dream buy for the penguins if they're looking at a goalie i do not know if they will i don't know what the price for a guy like reimer would be um, again, you'd have to make the money work because of the salary cap, but, um, Reimer would be my, uh, my, my one uh, on my wish list if I was going for that. I don't know enough about Vimelka. Uh, again, he plays in Arizona. So my watching of Arizona Coyotes hockey is extremely limited. Uh, but I mean, if he's an upgrade over to Smith and the money works and the price works on the trade, then I think you take a look at it because I, I don't have the faith in Casey to Smith um, to fill in. And I don't have the faith right now in Tristan Jari to stay healthy long enough uh, to carry this team through uh, the rest of the season uh, as a number one. So yeah, Vimelka, an interesting name, one to watch out for. But again, my, my top of my wish list is James Reimer. Uh, if they can make that happen. 
Uh, question number four uh, is from Brian, but I believe this is a different Brian because his username is Pope Darth Maul the first. I believe he's asked the question before. Uh, do you think the seemingly desperate situation the Penguins and it are in will only hurt will only hurt their ability to pull off trades? Did Hextall wait too long, and, and potential trade partners can hold out for more than the Pens since Hextall may sense his days are numbered uh, if the Pens miss the playoffs. So it's a pretty layered question here from Pope Darth Maul the first. I will say beggars can't be choosers, and in this case, the Penguins are beggars. They they are not choosers. In regards to Hextall's desperation, the thing I would say to counteract that would be there are other teams like the Islanders uh, and, and a couple other teams fighting for the wild card spot who are in a similar situation, the Capitals as well. They have similar point totals. They're in a similar place in the standings. So desperation is something that's probably felt throughout the league, not just it's not just uh, exclusive to Hextall and the Penguins. But at this point, with so many of these blockbuster deals being being done, heck, Patrick Kane uh, might be traded by the time we're done recording this podcast. I mean, players like Tarasenko have been traded. Um, I think Ryan O'Reilly was traded from the St. Louis Blues as well. A lot of big names are being shuffled around already. But did he wait too long? for his trade partners to hold out and and ask for more maybe but at the same time some some deals are still going to come down to the deadline i know hextall has developed that reputation of biding his time being slow methodical whatever descriptor you want to use but i, I do wonder i do wonder if hextall in the back of his head wonders the same thing and, and senses that his days may may very well be numbered if the penguins miss the playoffs uh I only I only wonder that because we still don't really have a firm idea about who the minds are behind the Fenway Sports Group, the current ownership behind the Pittsburgh Penguins. What kind of owners are they? Are they traditionally going to be hands-off owners? Are they going to let the hockey executives do what they do best and and, and stay off? Or are they looking at what Hextall is doing behind the scenes and are, are they are they not pleased? We don't know. There have been very few, very few estimations since the Fenway Sports Group came in to really take the temperature of the ownership group and the Penguins. We don't know how they feel. They're not seen very much. I don't even believe they're at many games, to be quite honest with you. Does Hextall have that sense of urgency to want to make a move and try and salvage the remainder of this season? I would imagine, but I would be curious to get the gauge of the temperature of Hextall's mind to see how urgent and how desperate he really is to make a trade or if what he's saying, what he does, he believe what he's saying. Does he believe that the Penguins are a good team? Does he genuinely like this group? Does he think that they're just in a bad funk? I'd be curious to, to uh, ask him those questions. If I saw him face to face. Question number five for you, Robbie, comes from Brendan. What do you think about a Jan Ruda trade? I think between Ruedel, Ty Smith, and Mark Friedman, we have enough for six competent defensemen. Ruda is eating $2.75 million in salary cap space. If we moved him, then we could be in uh, more serious contention about a true third-line center. Winnipeg, The Winnipeg Jets could use a quality right-handed defenseman. Uh, in your estimation, Robbie, what could the Penguins get for someone like Jan Ruda? Yeah, I think, I mean, again, a log jam still at the blue line, kind of been there all year. And um, at first it was P.O. Joseph that was being moved. 
but that quite clearly, I don't think this is going to be the case anymore. I think he has pretty much cemented himself uh, in Pittsburgh, unless the return would be something uh, truly astronomical. They need to free up money. Uh, Ruda, he's been decent, but I think that uh, overall, he is a movable piece if he has value, and I think he would have value uh, as a uh, a right-handed defenseman. He has Stanley Cup experience, uh, so, I mean, he brings that to a team. And, yeah, I think there's value out there, especially if you're just getting a few picks back because that would just clear salary uh, straight away unless you do want to include him in a trade uh, for a player for salary for salary if possible, uh, something like that to kind of um, open up some space um, for other moves or that move just in general, a move just in general. But, yeah, I think overall, I think Ruda is a tradable piece. I do not know if he will be traded. I do not know if Ron Hextall will make that move. And uh, but yeah, losing him would not be the end of the road because, again, you have so many pieces that can come and fill in there and arguably should be getting uh, more playing time. Um, but it's just there's no room in the in the lineup for him. So, yeah, I think that um, he's definitely a tradable piece if the market's there. And if you're just getting picks back, just to open up salary cap space. I think any a, a mid draft pick, a third or fourth. Uh, would be completely fair compensation uh, to make that to facilitate that deal. Uh, question number six is from Brian. Uh, do you see the entire front office gone next season, or primarily just Hextall? Who would you like to see as his replacement? Kind of uh, going back to Pope Darth Maul, the first question regarding Hextall's desperation. If the Penguins fail, I think there are two two ways to look at this. If the Penguins fail to clinch a playoff spot outright. Hextall is out the door. If the Penguins get into the postseason and fail spectacularly in the first round again, again, I probably think Hextall is out the door. Isn't the entire front office like Ron Hextall guys? Like Hextall has garnered some criticism for some of his executive decisions and like personnel decisions for the player, for some people he's brought on board with him in management roles. So if Hextall leaves, I, I, I would imagine that most, if not all of his staff are probably out the door too. As for a replacement, uh, I mean, there's so many executives, so many nameless faces out there. I don't even know off the top of my head who would be an adequate replacement I'd, I'd probably want a younger mind, someone who has either worked their way up in for, for another team, so like almost like a Kyle Dubas in, in Toronto. Granted, I know he's garnered a, a fair share of his criticism in Toronto with, with their playoff failures as well, but someone who fits that mold, who can, can use analytics to their, to their advantage to try and build a, a more complete roster you know, not so much having a reliance on muckers and grinders and that, that that kind of player who is slowly being phased out of the league. So I'd want a forward-thinking, youthful general manager. Question number seven for you, Robbie, comes from Brian. This is a good question. Is there a limit to how many players you can have in the penalty box at one time? What happens if there's not enough room for all of the penalized players? Yeah, I don't know what, if there's a – I mean, penalty boxes are designed for, yeah, two or three players. I don't think they ever – if it ever gets that bad, there's probably misconduct involved because that means that things have really gone off the rails of you to try to uh, shoehorn that many guys into a penalty box. Um, yeah, it got a little crowded there on Monday against the Islanders, and I've seen it pretty crowded before. 
uh, as well. I mean, it seems like three is probably your your max and most comfortable before dudes have to start uh, standing or standing in front of players and shuffling around or sitting on laps or whatever the next step is. But I think if it ever gets to the point where you're fully loaded in the penalty box, the game's probably gotten ugly enough. There's going to be some misconducts and guys heading to the locker room. Uh, so, um, yeah, at that point, I think you're probably seeing ejections. But I don't know what the max would be. It's Three seems like the last comfortable person. Uh, and then guys have to start standing and contorting their bodies just to fit uh, in the penalty box. Question number eight from Brian. Uh, let's talk about Bo Bennett. What could have been without all the injuries? Uh, truly, he had the worst luck. Can't be many players in history uh, who got hurt celebrating a goal. So full disclosure here, I might have talked about it on the podcast before, but Bo Bennett was the first Penguins prospect that, like, when I was starting to come into the, the Penguins fandom and when I was starting to really uh, take seriously hockey and, and watching it more in depth than just as a casual viewer, Bo Bennett was, like, the first prospect that I was like, this dude's going to be great. He's going to be surefire, can't miss. He's going to be great in the top six alongside uh, Crosby or Malkin on the right side. And I'm like, yeah, this is going to be perfect when he comes into his own. And boy, was I wrong about that. I mean, to his credit, Bennett did play in 200 NHL games, 24 goals, 64 points. So he wasn't completely inept, but the problem is, as as uh, Brian mentioned, that boy, he just had the absolute worst luck when it came to injuries, even getting injured when celebrating a goal. For the most part, good on Bo Bennett for taking a lot of that in stride. I remember when the Penguins won, I think it was the 2016 Stanley Cup. There was a meme that's floated around, and it's probably still floating around today in some circles, that Bo Bennett got a special float in the Stanley Cup parade in downtown Pittsburgh, and it was a picture of an ambulance. T to his credit, uh, Bennett has taken the the injuries that he sustained throughout his career he's taken them in stride and he's able to laugh at himself so to that i say good on you bo because a lot of people probably would have been sour and bitter about how things would have played out uh you know being so limited and not being able to hit the ice as frequently as you wanted to being a former first round pick and having that sort of potential and that sort of label and then to come into the league and suffer as many injuries as he did it, it couldn't have been a good thing mentally or physically to go through and all the rehab he had to go through. But uh, like I said, to his credit, he's rolled with the punches. Uh, he, he's understood the the assignment, as the kids say these days. So <laughs> what, what could have been if he would have stayed healthy? I think he would have been a permanent fixture in the top nine. Uh, and I think he would have gotten a more extended look in the top six alongside Crosby or Malkin, but it, it just wasn't meant to be. And if you haven't, if you don't follow Bo Bennett on Twitter, I think he's a pretty entertaining Twitter follow as well. Question number nine comes from Noah Jordan. If the goal is to win the Stanley Cup again during the Crosby Malkin era, wouldn't it make more sense to gain whatever assets possible for pending unrestricted free agents and reload for next season? instead of using what few assets we do have just to be able to play Boston or Carolina in the first round and probably get swept anyway. I mean, I understand that thinking, but what do the Penguins have in that roster right now? One that's a pending free agent outside of Jason Zucker, really, that you could trade. Maybe Tristan Jari, but again, I don't think this front office is ready to give up on Jari, um, at least when it gets to the offseason and start negotiating uh, with him. I really don't see them moving on for that. And remember, you're looking at a wild card spot more likely than not. The Penguins are still have the best odds of making the playoffs because of all those games at hand. You got to win those games. Uh, but I mean, right now the Penguins are still 
a playoff team. And I think that that is more important uh, than anything because if you look at that roster besides Zucker and uh, Tristan Jari, I just don't know if there's enough there that you'd get enough value back, mainly key pieces uh, in a run next year or down the line. No draft picks you get out of those trades will be worth anything in the Crosby-Malkin era at all. Uh, They're not going to develop in time. I can understand the thinking, but I don't see the Penguins as being sellers as everything stands. Could be wrong. Uh, The Capitals appear to be, uh, again, He was Garrett mentioned about trades going down. Um, As we record this, the Capitals have started a fire sell, uh, moving Garnet Hathaway and Dmitry Orlov to Boston uh, while we record this. So, yeah, I, I just don't see the Penguins in that position. Uh, I think the Capitals are in a much worse position than the Penguins. They don't have the games in hand. They're all, they're even farther down the standings. Uh, so I just don't think that when your only assets are really Jason Zucker, uh, who has played well enough, I think, to earn a contract extension after this season, and Tristan Jari, who the Penguins have to have some kind of interest in keeping uh, longer term, I just don't see getting enough value that makes that worth it to sell now uh, on those two main pieces uh, to build for next year. Uh, Question number 10 comes from Brian. Uh, When the core all retire, do you see another promotion like Generation X forthcoming? I hope so. Robbie, you (laughs) could probably speak to Generation X more than than I can uh, just because of the age gap here, but uh, from from the things that I've seen circulate on Twitter and the, the videos and promotional material I've seen on on YouTube, boy, Generation X. See, the problem is the Penguins. At the end of the day, it's a business. Your, your goal is to put butts in seats, and your goal is to put the best product on the ice as possible. Boy, Gen- Generation X. It's I don't want to say it was a dark period in Penguins history, uh, but boy, it's it happened. Generation X. The tagline is it should have been Generation X. It happened. So yeah, when, when it's going to be so weird to to think about when when Crosby and Malkin do retire, because really from the the Penguins have had a, a relatively consistent thread dating from Mario Lemieux in 1984, 1985, going through the 80s, winning the Stanley Cups in the early 90s, going through the mid to late 90s. Yarmir Yager comes into his own, becomes one of the best players in the league. Then they go into that little lull period. Lemieux comes back out of retirement. Then they win the lottery. They get Malkin, Crosby, Fleury, Stahl. They get all of those players, and they come into their own in the mid-2000s, and then they they basically start what we know now. It's going to be fascinating to watch from a fan's perspective how the Penguins do once everyone retires. I think the, the first thought is doom and gloom. The Penguins are going to be the worst team in the league as soon as all of the players hang up their skates. I don't think that's going to be the case. I think the Penguins are going to try and be competitive. But at the same time, the only way you get better really as a franchise is if you have some decent luck in the draft lottery and you have a high enough draft pick and you hope that the player you draft can have that franchise changing potential like a McDavid or maybe in this case more recently Connor Bedard if he lives up to that hype. Will we see another Generation X kind of uh, kind of production? All I'll say is, I hope so. What will it look like? I have no idea. I have no idea what what the landscape will look like in three to five years when everyone is gone. But for the sake of entertainment value, yeah, I hope I hope the Penguins just get crazy with it 
and just try and generate as much buzz as possible. Question number 11 comes from Jerry Jalome. If I pronounced your last name right, Jalome or Jalome, what trades should Ron Hextall be targeting to bolster the bottom six? Uh, one name that I saw pop up that I really liked uh, is Adam Henrique from the currently playing for the Anaheim Ducks. I think he would be an immediate upgrade. Well, I mean, a lot's an immediate upgrade uh, over Jeff Carter, but I think he would be an, yeah, an instant impact player for the Penguins would really help. I mean, just reshape that entire bottom six um, and what, what they can do. He just, he would add such an, a, a big threat down the middle and really fix so many problems with this team, uh, getting a guy like him in there. So anybody in that Henrik mold or Henrik himself, I really think the third, the three C is target number one for what Ron Hextall should be shopping for. Uh, here's the trade that de- tra- trade deadline uh, approaches next Friday. I just really think that getting that spot improved and just boosting that third line just does so much for the Penguins depth and really, it's just, it would just be a huge get if they could get a guy um, like Henrique or in the same mold uh, as a player like Henrique. Uh, so that is, I mean, Henrique's a big name. There will be other targets out there that you hear that could really, I think, um, really help fix that fix that third line uh, and in turn really reshape that entire bottom six, uh, which is one move. Last but not least, uh, Brian, uh, does Sid possess the best backhand in league history? Who are the guys you can say compete with him? So as a biased Penguins fan, and I'm sure many of you listening are, you're, you're in the same camp as Brian and will probably say yes. Crosby does possess the best backhand in league history. But from, like a, from an objective slash analytical perspective, the research that I did, I mean, everything that came up said, there's no question, Sidney Crosby possesses the best backhand in league history from various different sources, uh, not just penguins centric penguins related things that I was reading everyone, even old, old executives, older hockey players, they're looking at the game today and they constantly went back to one player. And that was Sidney Crosby. What does that say about the, the kind of player Sidney Crosby is to possess what is considered the best backhand in NHL history? Who are some guys that could compete with him? I don't even know. I mean, backhands, the backhander, it's so, it's so, backhand goals are few and far between, I feel like, these days. Everyone's focusing on quick wristers, uh, maybe Pavel Datsuk, trying to think off the top of my head. Some people I saw in the research that I was doing said Patrick Kane, maybe. But everything, everything kind of went back to Sidney Crosby. There, there may be no other player that does more work to create a better backhanded shot than Crosby. His hand-eye coordination is second to none. That's only going to help bolster any sort of chances that he gets on the backhand, especially when he's down low near the goaltender. But yeah, I mean, for a, from a Penguins fan's perspective, I, I'll end the conversation like so many others did that I was reading and say it was Crosby who was in a league of his own and everyone else was behind him. All right, well, that will do it for this week's mailbag, and that will do it, like I mentioned at the start of the show, that will do it for what we have called the Pensburg podcast for the last couple of years. Uh, this time next week, like I said, assuming everything goes to plan, we will be up and running with this this transformation, this rebrand 
into this new podcasting network that we've been working on over the last couple of weeks. So until then, stay tuned. And uh, anything that does get finalized, we will probably put out some sort of social presence and we will continue to mention our social channels in future episodes of the podcast. But uh, until next week, when we continue... For Robbie Noggle, I have been Gareth Behanna. Thank you so much for listening to this edition of the podcast, and we will see you for something entirely brand new sometime next week.